Welcome to the Dance Rants podcast. I'm Dylan Holly, a freelance artist and teacher with an urban dance background based in the Netherlands. And I'm Hayden Idris, a classically trained dancer now working for the Dutch modern dance company Introdance. This podcast is a platform to create discussion about dance and to learn and gain insight from our guests. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Dance Rants podcast. I'm here with Ursula Robb, who's been working with me down in Dance Limerick. I've been doing the Step Up program, which is a young professionals training program or a further training program. Thank you so much, Ursula, for joining me and Hayden here today. Absolute pleasure to have you. It's, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And I feel we're so lucky to be out of lockdown and to have this opportunity to all be together in a studio. So um, we have been working this week on um, various structures from my work during my time at Rosas. So doing a lot of phrase material and then retrograding it, which means going backwards. Where are you guys actually? It looks like you're in a church or something. That's where we are. Yeah, yep, that's uh, <laughs> Limerick. It's a beautiful old space and that's Dance Limerick. So we've been dancing in here all week. It's been nice, hasn't it? Mm. Oh, nice. Yeah. And you... Do you work in Limerick often or? I come down a couple of days a week uh, during the semester to work at U- the University of Limerick. Okay. Yeah, there's a bachelor and master program, but I've only been doing that for a little while. It's just a really new program. So yeah, it's nice because otherwise there's not a lot of work here in Ireland that I've, yeah, I'm just sort of finding my way. So, yeah. yeah, Dylan mentioned that a few times that the dance scene is not huge in Ireland. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're very happy to have you here, though. Oh, it's look, quite it's funny been... we swallowed you up. <laughs> <laughs> it's been lovely for me to sort of get down and be with these, you know, like professional dancers because I've been working with students or, and I love, like I was saying to you, that ability to work with train or bodies that are receptive to the, the finer tuning of or to understand what is the essence of this particular movement rather than just understanding how to put steps together yeah. you know like mm. I mean, that's for me the interesting part is, is really like let's work on the breath and the timing and yeah so it's been a blast for me i've loved it okay sure go ahead i guess to start off is just a bit of background for people who don't know you. who i am yeah who you are so i trained my name's ursula rob and i am from new zealand originally i trained at the New Zealand School of Dance, which was sort of heavily balletic in those days, and then did the contemporary course. And uh, out of that, I was still very balletic in a way. I did both, both streams all the way to the end, and came out of it, did a guest stint with the ballet company as a guest dancer, and then worked my first job with Douglas Wright, who was a really important New Zealand choreographer. He'd worked in New York, for I think six years with the Paul Taylor company and he was very gymnastic and um, very powerful beautifully physical mover and choreographer so it was it was a privilege to work for him I mean he was quite an inspired mover and choreographer and still I'd say would be one of the highlights was working with him if you ever get a chance to look up um, it's called eulogy for Jim and it's by Douglas Wright it's amazing yeah and it's I think it's on YouTube and that but you know it's stunning so it was really visceral powerful movement and um you know for us I was like a young 
21 year old, 20 year old, and you just, he required you to throw yourself into the work, almost destroy your body and you would do it willingly. You know, like what you were asking me earlier about, you know, how you, I just was thinking about that question of taking care of the dancer. And, you know, I think often that was not taken into consideration yeah. at all. It's just like you, you give everything you have. You don't care if you bung up your knees. It's just, you're wanting to show the devotion. You know, there was, and the same as, as um, if I think back on it now, he used to sort of dabble in amateur psychology to get us to open up and, and then we'd be left raw and not know how to put all that together again. And, you know, you'd be sort of staggering out in floods of tears and you sort of, you've just exposed all your childhood traumas and there's no care taken. But yeah. there was something about really unpicking this out of people to get to the guts of something but without any knowledge of what they're doing. I mean, that I, I think of that quite often because I remember how traumatic it was, you know, and that was because I think he'd learned that from working in Deviate with... Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Lloyd Newsom. Yeah, with right? Lloyd Newsom. Because <laughs> he, he yeah, studied he, psychology as well. Okay, well, Douglas Wright worked with him as well. Yeah. He did Dead Dreams from my friend there. So okay. he came back to New Zealand and then sort of tried this out on us. And here we were. <laughs> the sacrificial <laughs> Absolutely. And I do remember that, you know, we were sort of just willingly opening ourselves up and then it was like opening a can of worms and then going, great, I'll take that. And then we were left wounded. And, you know, so those days of just how you just give unquestioningly. And so it was interesting after that. So I worked for him for about five years doing different pieces and it was extraordinary, amazing, beautiful work, loved him. But then coming to Europe, Europe afterwards, there was a definite shift. It was like far more clinical or, or a bit more distance, you know, a bit more removed. You really could view it as work. Whereas in New Zealand, you were so grateful mm. to work as a dancer. And I'd say Ireland is similar. There just wasn't a lot of no, there's so, work so you, back then, yeah. And, and there's an expectation that you should be grateful to do it. Yeah. You know, have, don't complain. Yeah, to have something to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, you know, don't be asking for it to be full time. I mean, hey, you're lucky to do it. You know, you're an artist. Mm. You should be starving in a garret. Whereas getting to Europe was amazing because you could have a full-time job, you got paid properly. It was incredible, you know, like to have that opportunity. So I'd come to Europe um, in 1995 as a 25-year-old, yeah, and I did the Vienna, you know, the Towns Week there, and I did workshops with Susanna Lenka and... Um, that was really interesting, this sort of German, this German woman, all this, you know, the way of performance and how you carry yourself. It was really intense. And then Wim van der Kabis was holding an audition for people to get to do his workshop for free. And I'd been, I didn't even know who he was, but everyone was rushing to this audition. So I went and I got place and, and out of that, he offered me, um, asked if I'd come to his audition for his company. And so, that was incredibly exciting because I'd only gone to Europe with a backpack and he invited me to come and see the company in Denmark to watch them perform. Cause I said, you know, being completely naive, not knowing who he was, I said, I, but I don't know your work. I, I don't know if I can really stick around. And you know, it's like playing hard to get without meaning to, you know, it's like, so for him, it's like, come on. So anyway, I got to go, yeah, do you know who I am? Yeah, a bit like that. So for me, I got this free trip to Denmark and I thought, okay, well, 
maybe it's worth me sticking around, you know, obviously he's keen. So I, um, <laughs> so then I, I came to, to do this audition in a month's time and yeah, I got the job and it was, it was amazing. It was very exciting work. Um, I'd never known anything quite like it, the partnering and that was exquisite, you know, they do amazing work and I just wanted to absorb it and learn it and by the end of two years there I was literally broken, you know, broken finger, broken foot, concussion because there was bricks flying and you know. Oh was, you were in that piece. Yeah I was in pieces. Yeah. So I mean it was great but I had been inspired, one of the reasons I wanted to come to Europe was I'd seen Rosas when they came to the New Zealand Arts Festival. So I'd seen them in, in Wellington and just, I think because there was a, there was something about the women, you know, like they did these pieces that were about women and about women's bodies and femininity and power. Whereas I worked for uh, Douglas Wright, where there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of power and, um, I would say it was very male and strong and I'd say, you know, the women still had amazing roles and and were powerful for sure. Yeah. But it was certainly working in the studio. You felt punished at times, you know, there was, there was something you didn't know if he liked you very much, but you know, working, then seeing this, this work by this female choreographer was, amazing to me i'd never seen anything like it and i've never seen such strong women being women not mm. um being certain different roles or that just excited me and i remember you know like a, a groupie i sort of wrote to them and said you know could i audition you know i just loved it i'd seen Land and rosa stance rosas and you know unity the breathing this it was just sort of beautiful and they you know fair play they wrote right. back and said look thanks for your interest in there's probably uh, company auditions in another year or whatever. So anyway, I'd come to Europe and kept my eyes open and Wim van der Kables and he was in Brussels and I had this amazing time there. But yeah, I, I, I did find it a slightly toxic environment, I have to say, you know, it was um, not an easy time, you know. So I, um, after the two years, I found a pamphlet saying there was an audition for Rosas. And I thought, okay, I'll do it. And I went to what, probably one of the last, certainly for many years, one of the last really open auditions for Rosas because afterwards they tended to take people straight from parts, you know, the school that was attached there. So it was a really exciting time. And I would have gone home to New Zealand, I think, if I hadn't got that job. I was just sort of ready to stop for a bit yeah. after the two years with Ultima Viz. But I got the job. And... Um, that started a whole new chapter, actually, which I loved. You know, the like what you, we've just been working on this week, the attention to detail and and the um, having to learn the retrograde. And there was such a craft, you know, the way we worked. It was beautiful and it was hard and it was challenging. And you really felt that it took a long time for her to choose you for the company, but then you were one of, you were a palette of colours in a way. And she valued each of us, each colour that we brought. That's sort of how I thought of it. Yeah. So she, yeah. Well, the way you were describing it this week, like you were really part of a core team and it's like yeah. something that, yeah, you kind of dream of as a dancer to be on that kind of level where you're a creative asset. 
Absolutely. And that, that's definitely how it worked in those days anyway. You know, we made drumming. You know, our input was really valuable. She would come with the core material and then we would work on the retrograde or we would be sent off to go and work in the space with the floor pattern and various parts of the movements and then we'd have to make a duet or a trio or and so you you had a lot of input so you really felt like you could own and stand behind it and that was wonderful rather than just being choreographed on you know which was how it was Douglas that was definitely just being a tool for somebody in that way with Anna Therese's work you really felt that you belonged there you had a place you had a voice and you know there's a lovely feeling of like being in the studio with everyone and you could really argue over these details but in a in a way that was all about the work that we yeah. really cared it wasn't about mm-hmm. um any other sort of drama it was it was really wonderful to to immerse myself in that way and that was my experience there i, I really loved it and i feel like we made beautiful work I don't know if you want me to talk about the work there or just the next journey. Why um, well, you spent, oh, you spent 10 years there and then you transitioned well, into teaching. Is yeah, that correct? Sort of, or? I, sort of, I think it was like six or seven full time actually. And then I was looking back at it, six or seven full time. And then I did some, I went and worked for another company, Thomas Howard Zoo. I did a project with him in, in between. And then I went back to Roses to do some performing and, um, I sort of have felt like I had a link there for many years yeah. and in and out with performing as well, even if it was freelance. Um, so after I'd been there for the six or seven years, then I went to Zoo. I feel like I got it to a point of wanting also to try other ways of moving. And I remember talking to Anna Teresa and she said, ah, oh, but I think she said something like, I know for me, you know, I like your lyricism. That's your color for me. It's what I like. So that's that's what I want from you. No, and it was it was kind of fair enough, you know, that she if she's got her palette, that's what she takes that, she takes that person for that or mm. however it was. And so I sort of understood, oh okay, if I want to try that, I'll probably get that somewhere else. Or, you know, mm. when I went and worked with Thomas and we did this beautiful project called Modify, and I could really I was invited actually to to play and it was improvising and it was something new for me. So that was a great experience as well. But at that point, I was ready to go back to New Zealand because my dad had died and yeah, just a few years, a couple of years previous and I hadn't been able to get home for the funeral because, yeah, because you had, well, because I had, we had a world premiere, you can't get the time, you know, you actually can't get the time off. It was a case of, um, you get two days off for bereavement or something like that and it takes two days to get to New Zealand. And, you know, suddenly the realization of, my life not really being my own to choose yeah. what I did or do that, you know, up to that point, there's a point where you're really happy to just give it everything. And for me, it shifted slightly of, oh, you know, I started to realize I'd, I'd missed out on so many of my best friends or good friends, important occasions or something, because I just have to refuse all these invitations because now we're on tour. Your life is doesn't the tour, end. Like, it is, yeah, it is. It's just it's, the dance. It's the companies. Yeah. Your life belongs to the company. Yeah. You don't. You can't even put in a request. I need a weekend off because my friend's getting married. Or, <laughs> sorry, you know. 
that doesn't exist, you know. And and then when it happened about the funeral of my dad, then you go, oh, mm. perhaps I have to rethink this. So I did. I kind of that was a really big catalyst for me to think about having a bit more ownership of my time and my life. And by then, I had been in Europe for 10 years or so or more, and that I was really ready to have some time back home. And so I, I went back in about 2005, was it? and I just wanted a break. I wanted to stop for a bit. And I, it was funny, that desire to just reinvent myself. So I, um, <laughs> I went and worked at a hotel in the for in the lobby, you know, like at reception. And I remember this really surreal thing of talking to these girls there about, and they were asking what had I done? And I was telling them about this career and I could see from their faces that I thought I was talking a lot of shit. Oh. It's like, <laughs> right, yeah, right. You know, like I suddenly realized that I was telling this fantastic story of like, oh yeah, you were dancing around the world, like, yeah, right. You know, like, and here you are in a hotel, like, why? You know, yeah. it was just like, it didn't add up to them. And I realized, yeah, you probably think I'm lying. You know, it just seems completely ridiculous. Yeah, why would you be here then? You know, and I was like, yeah, why am I here? Why, why have I chosen to just completely shut off what I was and what I, I mean, I just, it didn't make sense, but I wanted a break, but I didn't know how to do it. So I went and did this really strange job that I didn't need to do. And it was bizarre. And then I enrolled into university to do some papers in English literature. And I just wanted, I think, a taste of other life. You know, I really wanted to do, I think I did creative writing and, and um, cool. English lit. And, you know, I just wanted to be like yeah. a person. I read that on your CV and I actually wondered if maybe this was out of a pursuit to further your dance career or if it was something... That was, was separate it was, from it. It was like turning my back on it for a moment, you know? It was a funny thing. I mean, also, you know, on another level, I had been in a relationship in the company and we'd broken up and, you know, there was that sort of, oh, just, you know, so coming home and starting again and if I'm starting again, starting alone, having to get a new apartment, everything was so sort of new and... I mean, Douglas Wright back, he was there then too, and he'd said, well, you know, will you be in my next piece? And I'd initially said yes, and then I was like, you know what, I'm, I just feel jaded. I feel like I need a break. I need to do something so different. And so, you know, nobody could really understand it, but here was I. <laughs> um, yes, you know, did you watch an interview, you know, pay, you know, doing this whole thing at the reception and usually I was on the other side being on tour in all these glamorous places and, you know, touring the world. And suddenly I was the one behind the desk. You know, and, and the one thing I had to say I really noticed at that time was um, when I'd been checking in as part of this company and you realize how nice people are to you because you're part of this, this elite. elite. Whereas, you know, when you're on tour, it's pretty, pretty grotty, <laughs> right? It's just all pretty hard work. Yeah. And you don't realize though, because when I was at hotel reception, people can be horrible. We didn't, you don't see that side when you're jet setting around and people think, well, you guys are amazing. You know? so here comes the dance company or whatever. People are so nice and they treat you well. And suddenly I was giving people giving me you know, shit at the desk and going, wow, what's that? You know, it's just, it was really 
humbling and eye-opening, I think, just to do that for a year. I wouldn't do it again. No, but once was enough. <laughs> yeah, once was enough. No, it was, but was it refreshing? Like, did you feel, I, uh, I mean, refreshed to get back into the dance afterwards? Or? But, you know, it was bizarre how I, I chose to do that because I, I didn't even approach the School of Dance to do any teaching. I didn't, I didn't, I turned my back on doing performing. I, and I was only, I've only been 35, you know, like, it's not like, but I'd been dancing since I was 17, you know, full time. And I hadn't really had a break. So I think I had this desire to dabble into a different world. And so I then got a job at the Royal New Zealand Ballet, the, uh, what was it called? The assistant to the artistic director or something, you know? And, and I also did quite a lot of the office administration and doing tour management stuff. It, it was, it was um, I think I was really insecure as well, having been a dancer, that I couldn't do anything else. That what happens when I can't dance anymore? You know what? I can't do anything is what I thought. I uh, people think that, yeah. yeah, and it's a sort of, it's a bit of an, an, an interesting, an interest for me that, because I think there's a lot of us who have that. Um, what next? So I can't do anything else. And yet, when you do sort of unpack our skill set, when you think that we manage our own careers and that we, you know, what what we're able to do really in the studio, the way we can multitask and thinking and, and you know, the whole, it's incredible what we can do and how we've trained our brains and our bodies. And But we don't see that as being something that we can transfer into, you know, because we don't have a degree. Yeah. A, it makes us a bit... Um, well, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure there's others. It can make you feel worth, worthless or I can, my options are so limited. All I can do out of this is uh, maybe teach or maybe do massage or maybe what, you know, choreograph if I'm good enough at it or I don't know. You sort of feel like that you're really limited, you know, and, and it can be scary and people can feel um, that they resist change because of that. So for me, I was, I was a little bit scared. I think I was thinking, God, I need to, I need to start um, retraining. And I felt that I had to start right at the beginning. So that's why I started doing, you know, university studies. Somehow I felt like I had to have letters or by my name, you know, which is sad. Yeah. Really sad. And yet. It's kind of how society functions yeah, though. it does. And it's the same, like a lot of dance schools now are trying to get accreditation so that you can offer dancers letters next to their name so that they can feed into the system and get more funding or whatever, you know, because you yeah. need to have that, you know, it's mm -hmm. so it can also change the vocational training, you know, when that can be really good. And then it has to link up with the university, which can take away from just the pure dance training. So it's not always a good thing, but it's necessary. Do you think, by education's giving that option to give letters next to your name at the end of your formal education, do you think that actually adds anything to our training as dancers? Well, that's the whole thing. Is it just a kind of lessening of the value by everyone having to get all these letters or does it actually give us something? I'm not sure. I think it depends on the course. If it's, um, I, I don't know, like I think, I think if it can be, it totally depends on the course because I think some are thinking much more about the thinking dancer, obviously, and how you 
are learning how to sort of unravel, you know, what you're thinking, getting that down, writing more, to um, analyze. Mm -hmm. when, it's, when it's about that, for sure, you know, I think that's really worthy because it's giving you other skills. And mine was just dance, to ballet class, to do that. We didn't even have real choreography or composition. So I really felt my training at that time was about being a tool for somebody else, you know, and being as versatile yeah. as possible. And I do think that that would have impacted on whether I go into my choreography. I didn't ever feel like I had the skills to yeah. or anything to offer like that. That's myself. Other people from there would have had a different experience. Oh, I can totally relate to that. And I felt very similar to you that I sort of came out of school feeling like a, a tool for a choreographer or for a company, be as versatile as I could be to get a job, basically. Yeah. And didn't have any of those offerings of composition or yeah. any deeper understanding of choreography or anything like that. Yeah, so I can totally understand. Yeah. That. Well, and I think that's had an impact because um, it's certainly through the career. I think, yes, I was very versatile. I was able to kind of be like a chameleon and go from something like Wim and then into Rosas and then, you know, do that sort of part. Mm. Others have too, but... Um, you know, some people will be very much a style or whatever, and I felt like that was a skill I learned was to kind of understand how to, you know. And I think in one way it's given me a, a way of being able to see what's needed. Like I feel like I can use that as a rehearsal director, as a teacher. That's helped me because I can observe and I really feel like I can see what it is that I need to say to pull something up, you know. So um, when you stepped into the professional world, did you feel like it deepened your curiosity to explore those things even more because you didn't have it in your education? I was scared of it. I felt okay. I was more fearful of that. And I, I was in, probably intimidated or, oh my God, don't ask me to make something. Or, you know, like I had that, it took a long time to develop the confidence. And yeah. I think it was only under the, umbrella of us where we really had that sort of time of months to make pieces and that I wasn't under the pressure of if I mess this up I'm out you know because we didn't ever have that pressure yeah. you have this sort of feeling of looking over your shoulder at the next one coming in and yeah yeah next or something oh, yeah. you might be replaced I have to say that is something I loved about being in Rosas you know you really you were valued for what you brought and and so therefore I felt I could really grow there as a performer and as my curiosity, I could experiment and I could suddenly yeah. touch, you know, spread my wings a bit with, you know, making stuff. And I suppose if you feel valued also for yeah. what you are when you come in, then it gives you the freedom and the confidence also to be able to explore because exactly. you're not looking over your shoulder the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's really true. And then as far as, you know, making my own, I just never had that desire. I, I love to be part of a team and to be, you know, to work sort of collaboratively. And I never had a need or desire to sort of own a piece or, you know, or to direct other people. I enjoy working in, now when I'm teaching or to do rehearsal directing um, and to really work on getting it, just right and you know that's that's really fun I love working with people now but um no I've just never had that drive I suppose and then I've been asked several times would I do a piece for the school or yeah. students or whatever and 
That's different if I can work using structures, of course, that I've learned from Rosas, where it feels more like a workshop and that the result will be whatever it will be. Then I'm not sort of saying, well, I made that, they made it. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. But yeah. that is how the work came about in it's Rosas. Is probably, like, yeah, it's uh, true. But. And if anything, the trade-off of you being a creative tool of a choreographer is that you get a bag of creative tools from them to... To then carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true, it's true, but it's, you know, even now, so now I'm 50, and it's like starting to just play with that and enjoying it, you know, but also because I'm not wanting to, now it's really more in the service of the students and what they need, you know, so I'm happy to do it for that, in that way. Yeah, no, because it was really lovely to do it this week to just have even just a taste of what that frame of thinking Mm. and creating Mm. was like, Mm. like the retrograde grade stuff is such an, like new way for me to look at dynamics mm. which is yeah really great it's it's mind bending yes. but yeah. like of course we just touched on it if you have yeah. a lot of time you can see oh, how this absolutely. can re- like re yeah. completely rewire the way you think yeah. about movement yeah. and I think that was one of those the beautiful things of, of being in a well-funded company where you could unpack the movement look at it upside down backwards left and right you know transform it into something on the floor so you could spend weeks working just a nugget you know and I just love that we had that time of research and what a privilege you know really how lucky is that (laughs) and I know it's it's you know because in New Zealand and probably like Ireland you get limited funding for a few weeks and you've got to have something you've got to have the end product and yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that the piece isn't good. And it doesn't mean that because we had longer that it's a better piece. Not at all. I don't say that. I just mean that you were able to um, delve into things that you can't always. And, and that that's when you can, you know, have new discoveries. And I just think it was a privilege to have that chance. And, of course, now things are tighter again everywhere. You know, worldwide. It's not the Europe you came to. No, it isn't, is it? Yeah. I think finding an environment like that, even in Europe, is probably rare. So it's... uh, Exactly. No, I realise it was a pretty specific period. I I am very grateful that I lived through that period. Yeah. Glorious days. The golden days. The golden days. I know. I know. Some of those choreographies, it was so much fun. As well as rewarding and... Yeah, and then the touring, it was it was super. So, yeah, it was great. But um, then after my hotel, hotel lobby days, what did I do? I think... Is this when you worked with, or you co-founded? The... Oh, yeah. And then after that, I came back to Europe briefly, and I'd met my husband, who's from Ireland, and then we moved back to New Zealand and stayed there for about six years. And then uh, during that time... Shona McCullough, who is a New Zealand dancer and mover and shaker, she founded a dance company, the New Zealand Dance Company, which is, was to sort of create a contemporary dance company full-time for New Zealand. So she put so much work into getting that going, and we did a launch, and I was gifted a piece. Anna Teresa gifted um, a oh. solo, The Fawn, which yeah. was choreographed by Mark Lorimer. And... Um, that was wonderful. So I did that for the launch and then company was founded and then we did a tour, you know, be a co-founder and that's really 
was lovely, a lovely experience. And it was nice to sort of move again into, I kind of, she pulled me back in, yeah. which was great. And then from there, my husband wanted to, you know, it was time to come back to Ireland and he was building a house. So I was looking for something for myself to do while he was doing that and got this job in Copenhagen at the Danish National School of Performing Arts here. And Jeremy Nelson, who's also a New Zealander, he was the um, head of the contemporary dance stream at that time. And I'd worked there, I don't know, once before done a project. So it was lovely. And I had a whole year, what did I do? I had a year there and the kids went to school in Copenhagen. And um, that was a lovely experience. I was there, it was the, um, the subject specialist for contemporary dance. So basically I was just, you know, teaching class every day and doing different projects with the students and a lot of somatic based you know coursework and great teachers it was an amazing country to live in and you know again a very well funded art society there you know it was students got paid to go to university and it was free you know so not only did it was free but they got as they got scholarships That's the great. yeah everybody yeah they had five years worth of of scholarship money wow. or something so it was great and it was a four-year wow. course so that was a really fun time I really enjoyed it. I had great fun and that's how I sort of got more into teaching you know other than that I'd just done you know rehearsal directing here and there or teaching a, a two-week workshop and so you know it, it was a very different thing from when you zip around and you do maybe a couple of days and you sort of blow your wad kind of thing at one go <laughs> And then it's like you, and then, and then it's over. But um, when you're having to teach over a whole semester, you know you've actually got to build a curriculum you've or got a trajectory. Build a, yeah, yeah, and that's Very that was so different. That was quite a shock. Yeah. You know, and you everyone thinks you're wonderful when you just come in and teach fun class. Mm -hmm. that's it. And just then fireworks. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So then, so that was quite challenging, and that's something you know. I think we talked about that also this week. There's you're not really taught how to become a teacher. Yeah, really. Not at all. Yeah. But so many of us go into teaching. And yet, and so, you know, those are one, some of my questions too. Should we put more into that as, in the schooling as well? Because now it's also about, I don't know. You it's know, it's just so hard mm. to say because, like, even in the three or four years, I, I haven't learned everything I need to be a professional dancer. Like a half of what I am is my continued interests and that's going to have to keep going. Yeah. So to also pack in your preparations for your post career, it's like, it's just impossible. I know. And that's, and, but this is to me a big question of like, I don't want people to feel, you know, what I had is that whole thing of I, I'm useless at anything. Yeah. Else. I don't know. And I don't think the education system is like that anymore. I think people are, trained or maybe I mean depends where you go but I think the focus when it's so much on performance and then it has to be your own performance because you're not feeding into there's not you know what jobs sometimes and you know, we just don't know yeah so I feel like there needs to be um you know the thought of what else we how can we diversify what we're training what you know what it, where does it go where else can we use this you know, use these skills or, um, 
I don't know, one of the things that was taught in Copenhagen, which I thought was really interesting, just a little module on getting them to sort of learn how to teach and structure a class. And, you know, it didn't have to take up too much time, but it was, it was interesting enough to make them think about it. It's just the whole thing of getting your head into, into you know, realistically thinking, well, what will I be doing out of here? And most mm. of us, it's so useful to have teaching as a passing something on, to know how to do it or whatever. It does help you understand things better as it well. It does. Like yeah. I notice when I teach, like even if it's something that I would feel quite strong in, having to translate mm. that to someone else mm. makes you have to break it down and you go, exactly. oh, this actually has more to yeah. it than yeah. I even yeah. am aware. And I think when I first started teaching, I was entertaining. I was like, being an entertainer rather that than that is a, a big teacher. part of it especially it depends mm. on the group you have like if you yeah. have vocational students who are there for trajectory you can throw that out the window because mm. it's like they don't care <laughs> <laughs> well it's also you don't have to care yeah, yeah it's like they have to be there yes and they're also invested so mm. they're not there to put the flashy dance yeah, yeah, they really yeah. want yeah, everything like, yeah well that's the ideal if you like that yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, but it was also my own, I don't know what I'm doing, really, like, mm. I'll just pass this on, but I didn't, it's only by teaching that I learned how to teach, yeah. and I think, you know, when you really stop just thinking, what can I give them, or it's like when you really look, start turning around and really looking, okay, and maybe, if you, okay, that's not working, let's go back a bit, you know, that you, but that can be, again, all of this confidence that you don't miss. Mm have at the beginning you know yeah. Um, yeah. And those kind of exercises though like what you mentioned that you did some simple things in Copenhagen those kind of exercises for vocational dance students where they're in the position of being a teacher are probably good for them as dancers and performers as well anyway hmm. so maybe it is something that can be subtly incorporated into a yeah. dancer's education just the, the, that you think about it you know and, and yeah. I'm sure there's many other things too that we all end up doing somehow or that you know that there's far more emphasis on finance how to manage your you know <laughs> grants and all of that you know like i think more and more perhaps they are but everyone has to go and apply for money everyone has to to understand how to put a pitch you know it's not that we go into dance companies anymore and a lot don't want to do that they want to do their own so therefore there needs to be a bit of help perhaps with that in a way. I don't know, did you get that in your training? Um, tiny bit, but yeah. it was more about like how to book, how to register as a freelancer and this kind of thing. But yeah. how to write mm. grants is something very specific. And when you're just like kind of, you know, the naive student, you're like, it's grand when I need to do that. Mm. I'll figure out how to do it. And when you go to do it, you realize that it's so specific. Yes. Because it's like, there was a choreographer in Tilburg who had like she had said she'd perfected the way to write yeah, it yeah. yeah but you write it in a this kind of vague but concrete way where it it implies the direction of the piece mm -hmm. but not what it's actually going to be because you don't know what it's going to really be but you just need to assure the yeah. people on the board that yeah. it's yes. worth investing in this kind of dance speak that they need to see you know yeah. it is it's like it's that. jumping through hoops again i know it is it's all Always about stuff, that yeah. and so that's a skill you know and there's also the thing of like what about you know critics dance critic you know like you know there's there's just so many avenues that that could be you know that your artist your training maybe that i feel like could be brought in or or how can we 
yeah into that also just just to give more awareness of possibilities of pathways through a dance career say you want to transition into management post your dance career there is no like concrete way of how to do that it's about getting to know people who are in those positions at this point so exactly right and i know in canada and america they've got this dancer transition program and it's you know i was reading about it's wonderful and that you can i think people who are in companies or the company themselves pay a percent of an amount per student or whatever. Yeah, that here as well. They have it in yeah. Holland. Yeah, it's the uh, it's like a retraining scheme where you pay a percentage of your salary. It's only like two percent or something, and then the company pays a percentage, and it goes towards so many premiums. And then after you've accrued a certain amount, then you're entitled to a certain amount of funding to retrain yourself afterwards. Yeah, see, I think that's great. But even prior to that, yeah, whether in the first dance training that you are introduced at least to ideas of what else you could go into like you say whether it's management whether it's yeah being a dance critic whether it's being do you know what I mean I, yeah I don't know yeah. and I did speak to um someone at parts about this because when I was writing my thesis I was kind of dabbling on this topic and he was like yeah there's just not enough time you know as well because you're you're packing in so much about the training and I get that too. And, and also when you are 18 or even 25, whatever you, if you're training to be a dancer, it's, you don't, you don't it, want like, to know. You, who's yeah, you don't long term. You want to yeah. think short term. It's like, I just care about becoming yeah. that. And then once you get there, it's just like, Oh, why didn't I have more force? It's <laughs> yeah, younger. And, I like, know. and therefore, is there a responsibility for the education to do mm. that for you? Because yeah, you know, I think everyone now has to accept that they're either going to have to be part of a group who's going to go for money, apply for money, or, I mean, there's just not the, those companies don't exist, or, or even, like, even Rosas, it's, it's project-based now. Because you know, mm. funding is shrinking. So, that's right. And, yeah. So, I feel like the educational, dance educational institutions have to kind of keep up, you know with what they're training and, and what they're preparing you for. Yeah. The, the one question that this kind of raises for me though, is like, do you then have to prepare for the, the net that is getting smaller or do you, do we need to push for other facets of work rather than everyone skilling up to write grant funding? Cause that, that's the issue in Ireland. Anyone who trains here or comes back here, like the only funding is for choreographic work. So then you have loads of inexperienced choreographers applying for the same thing. And then you just. That's a good question because I think like at the moment, I think the, the academies are taking the approach that they need to produce the best product that they can so that their students can get the minimal amount of jobs that exists. But should these other things that are around the dance industry be, should those roles be taken up by people who are trained dancers? Because at the moment you have also teachers who are trained teachers, trained dance teachers, but don't don't necessarily have any dancing experience themselves. And the same with maybe dance critics and things like that. So should people who are trained dancers be taking up those roles, and should that that be a part of our education? Hmm. And is it even possible? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and everyone would have a different opinion on it. I mean, for me, coming out the other end and knowing you know that you go through what I went through of like. I could not merge dancer in me to 
having another career or whatever. I couldn't, I didn't know how to sort of merge that. I felt like I had to start from scratch. I didn't know how to bring the skills I had or that they were worthy. I didn't know that they had any worth. What I would like is that people are taught earlier that you've got far more options and that you could be the critic or you could be the manager or you could be, whereas I just didn't feel that I had any of the skills that were required for that. But I did, you yeah. know, like what you're saying is that the training that you have and the experience and the skill that does transfer into so many other things, you know, but we just don't believe in it or, or you don't, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know if society even does. Cause like, if you think about the people who value dance, predominantly dancers, mm. society doesn't really value it anymore. And yeah. that's why, I mean, even for me, by getting a master's in cultural policy and arts management, you do feel that you have a different level of respect from because, you know, of the letters. because of those letters. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, for sure. And you get paid more, I think, too. So it's nuts, but it's true. Even if you're doing the same thing you may have done, I think it shows that you have a brain that they can trust, whereas they don't trust that when you've just had, as a dancer, that you've had all this experience. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know mm. how. how. It's, it's just an interesting thing for me. I think it's the whole transition from being a professional dancer into what else? Well, but there's loads of like cultural projects or community projects that like I think can start to develop in therapy. It's happening, but obviously yeah, to, then you need to study therapy. One thing I found interesting was I was just invited along. This is a few years back. My first tastes of the therapeutic side of dance was like dance with people with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And I was just invited to get the witness, but obviously I took part in it. And all of the people with Parkinson's who were there were really thankful to have a dancer in the room doing it with them. And yeah, if you could find funding for that or find ways to then like employ or finance some students in college who are interested in this to go to these things, it can be like a part-time job for them, but it's also culturally beneficial rather than dance for Parkinson's being only people with yeah. Parkinson's in the room with one specialist. But so, that's kind of what I'm meaning as well, yeah. about, about stuff mm. opening up the potential for what else we can this all go. Yeah. Like as an introduction to therapy, dance and therapy, that you could then go off and do your after dance school, that you might, that's where you might want to go. Yeah. Like what you're doing now. I just feel like in general, it's still too blinkered. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that I think we should be opening up the ideas of where else can it travel to and what else can you do, like what you're about to do this master's on. I feel like that's really exciting. Yeah, but what I'm also getting at is, is a way to involve people who don't have the letters as mm -hmm. well. So that obviously needs someone who is a qualified therapist, but that then there is this space for bringing people who are the training or professional dancers in the room as well, because like noticing how the value of that, of just having dancers in certain well, I think good luck with people. that because I think if anything, it's getting harder and harder. I think it's everything's getting far more focused on needing the piece of paper that people understand. I think, and, yeah. the, and the people coming in, they get paid pittance because they've got nothing to prove that they've. You know, this is this yeah. is how it seems to work. I mean, when I was working in Copenhagen, we had a meeting, and they said, "Look, you know, this course is about to become accredited, so all you teachers, it's not going to be possible for you to." teach students of a master's level 
because they'll be higher than you. You know, you don't have any qualification. So, you know, it's this kind of thing is what they said. You're going to have to go and get yourself sorted out. Even if you've been in the industry for, you know, you've been the top of your game. It was like, oh, my wow. God. And you've already been teaching yeah. in this academy, yeah, but yeah. suddenly but the pressure was on. You needed other letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's why that's a one motivation also that pushed yeah. me to already do an MA now because otherwise I could have left it for a few years. I did, don't feel like I need to be working no, as a therapist just yet. But that's exactly right. Yeah, you know, and that's sort of what I mean. It's like it's horrible otherwise you finish. And I felt that I had to go and do. I enjoyed it as well. It was something really different, but. Yeah, but it's something to keep talking about, I think, because I the, think so, then yeah. you find the avenues that it exists in. Like, just even, it's not really completely comparable, but just this project that you were talking about that you were going to do for the Galway 2020 mm. thing, that, like, originally the director of it would have used actors, not Someone understanding did. what, like, what dancers bring to yeah. the table. Yeah. Um, and it's just this thing of, like, awareness in society where dance has extreme value for mm. either bringing across a message mm. either be it artistically politically whatever mm. or communicatively socially yeah. no that's it it's and that we learn to understand what value is because mm. i'm sure i'm not alone in being the person someone who stopped dancing thinking i'm worthless mm -hmm. to a degree you know like yeah. i didn't feel like i was worthless just more that i had no nothing to offer you didn't understand your worth. i didn't understand my worth exactly as and how to translate it into other things. Yeah. I felt that I had to go and get myself a degree. But do you think that you had that kind of frame of thinking because like, it was just your frame of thinking or that that was kind of in some way either encouraged or maybe it was there and it was reinforced by the way you were trained or like by the working field or? Yeah, I think it was. Because it's, it's common enough thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'd hope it would be my generation more than your generation, you know, that it was old school. But mm. but maybe it isn't, you know, and that's, if it isn't, then it's a terrible shame. But, well, that's what I mean. It's not spoken about what next. It's just not presented. You feel like it's a scary kind of corner that you get yourself into when you're partway, you know, some somewhere in your late thirties when you're dancing away and then it's like, well, and if I want to have kids as a woman anyway, maybe then, then you're sort of stuck there. You can't go off training and it's money, it's financial, it's all of that. It's, it's, it's a bit of a dark place, you know, like if I stop what's happening next and how do I fund getting there? What are my options? It's mm. not that easy. You know, that's the whole thing. It's just, and that's why I just feel like we could ease that by, having it a bit sooner in the education that these kind of options presented to you. Because when you're a young, keen student, you just want to dance. You, you know? just don't care about anything else. You don't else care. Like... And no one's talking to you about it. Mm. And it's, there's a certain responsibility, I think, to kind of go, look, not everyone here is going to make it as, or there's just not even the jobs, even if you would be able to. So if we're going to take all these people and train them and take, you know, your funding to do it, then we've got to, present and like yeah search for what else and where else and make them think themselves as well like even some of the students I had at Limerick here you know I was talking about teaching and um yeah going to old people's homes or you know just sort of doing a session with them you know like movement people who can't walk and just getting them upper body and getting them to sort of move to music and you know you can turn that into work for yourself actually yeah. But you have to present it to them. You've got to make them think about it. And yeah. 
I guess that's what I'm thinking about. Hmm. Even just to inspire the thought of what other things can I add to the to the education and training that I already have to be able to pursue yeah. something different. Yeah. Because yeah, I think I'd say you're definitely not alone that I think even in our generation, there's still a lot. I mean, the majority of people probably think that they need to start again and retrain themselves. And I mean, the fund here is called the retraining scheme. So it's really to give you another education. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you um, about the the arts management MA that you did, actually. Yeah. And I was wondering if you found that this masters has given you something extra that gives you the confidence or the authority to maybe step into more of a management role in the in the arts scene it has definitely given me a certain confidence that um probably you know a lot of it when i worked for the ballet company and did the sort of administration role and everything even then that suddenly gave me confidence of like actually a lot of this is really common sense or because of our knowledge you're used to making certain decisions or, and it just reinforced, oh, okay, you know, this isn't actually that hard. I don't, this is, this is really about making decisions and yeah. being clear about things or whatever. And then the, uh, the cultural policy and arts management, I found it really, really interesting, really useful, you know, giving a background on how cultural policy sort of was formed and then also the management side of it and really practical levels, you know, learning how to do budgeting for theatres and breaking even and what's your, you're doing all of those formulas and, and then also learning how, what the requirement to be on the board is, how to be a board member, just different things. And, you know, as a result, I'm, I am a board member of Liz Roach Company now, you know, like I've been invited to do different things and I feel able to contribute because of some of the projects we had to do in the company. We had to sorry, in the course, we had to come up with a business plan, but an artistic one, it had to be about an artistic enterprise. And we had to try and make it as much as possible, um, a profit making one rather than a not for profit, you know, trying to think about the arts making money or being sustainable. So I think it was great. And it was a one year course and it definitely gave me skills and confidence and I'm using it in small ways, but even, yeah, just even feeling like I can have something to contribute on a board. But I mean, not everyone would be as perhaps as timid as I have been about all of this, you know, like there'd be plenty of people who have no, no issue, but I felt like probably from my education and everything, I mean, I think I was saying to you, I did have a teacher when I was training that when I was, she was asking me, what was I doing? And I said, well, I, I just think if I, if I turn out a bit more like this or whatever, she said, there's your problem. Don't think, just do, you know? And I've never forgotten it because it was just kind of it summed you. it up really that that's the whole thing. You just do as you're told. And I don't know, I took it very seriously. And so it did certainly was just all about you there to support and it's not, oh, poor me. It's just like, that's really in those formative years. Yeah. So you're there to kind of be there for, for other people. And like I say, I wasn't someone who had a strong choreographic desire. So I've needed to sort of um, teach myself that sort of confidence by doing things that reinforce it or that I can hand someone a piece of paper to see, see, you know, I've yeah. needed that. Not everyone would. Hopefully not many people would. But yeah, that's been my journey. 
and and so yes it has it has been really important for me as far as going yeah okay i was able to do that no problem but no issue you know yeah but great marks you know that sort of thing it's yeah. like but you doubt it it's it's a silly thing you can sort of think what do i know yeah which is ridiculous and i guess that's the thing i don't want other dancers to doubt that you've got that sort of capacity or intelligence or skill or whatever you know that of course it's yeah. transferable yeah and that's the nice thing about having a conversation like this is that it hopefully helps people see their values and just be curious about where they want to bring those values in other places in dance but anyway thank you so much for sharing yeah i don't know your story about the just things you've been through and um, we're going to ask you to share one last thing um, were you able to think of a task something possible to share with our listeners I'd sort of thought about a little task that I could um, ask people to do if they wanted to. And I thought, um, you know, you had the experience of doing the retrograde, which you said was mind bending and frustrating. And we all feel a bit like that. And also the students who have never done it before. So I thought as a way of introducing yourself to it, a nice thing to do is even in a pedestrian setting, like if you come home and you're going to take your hat off and your coat and put your bag down and walk over to the bench and make a cup of tea. If you just, even the short, a very short phrase like that, the action of walking in, removing your bag, your scarf, your coat, your hat, hanging them up perhaps, and then just trying to remember the order at which you did it, which foot was in front when you slid the coat off your shoulder, and then just go forward and back, just with something very simple and pedestrian, not even a phrase of movement, of dance movement, but just something like that, or the action of making a cup of tea or you know pulling something out of the, the cupboard, just trying to go forward and then reverse it. And you know you can let go of the gesture of the mime and then turn it into something more abstract, but that it's quite a nice way to start. You know, and I think it's something you can just do in your own room. I used to do that quite a lot as we got introduced into retrograde. And I kind of got obsessed with it and thought about brushing my teeth and then the reverse of that. You know, it's even even ways of, you know, how was my shoulder? How was I leaning? You know, it's not just the action itself. It's the rest of the body. You know, as you you, you experienced as we did it, you know, it's the angle of the head and it's the feeling of gravity trying to fight against that so yeah is that enough of a task do you think that's perfect yeah and i think the the gravity thing is the like it's the biggest secret inside of it that it's the biggest struggle as well but that's very interesting to try and really do justice to gravity rewinding exactly so the the feeling of something if you drop your arm down you know what is the speed of you know how does speed and time work how it's speeds up so in fact you have to find that the speed is first and it slows down you know like as you reverse it but that as you say it's what gives it the real essence of backward or yeah, reverse mm. or you can find that yeah so anyway it's just a fun little experiment yeah amazing thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for sharing everything you shared with us today it's been a pleasure and thanks for yeah talking to me. I hope it's not too long and boring. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> thank you very much, Ursula. And thank you for everybody listening. This is myself, Dylan, 
Ursula and Hayden signing off.